Hello and welcome back to Violin Class, the podcast for anyone who is learning the violin as an adult. I'm Julia and I'm an online violin teacher who shares practical advice to help beginner adult violinists improve their playing. I've actually been away on maternity leave for the past few months, so I'm super happy to start getting back into podcasting. And while I'm preparing an upcoming season, I'll be sharing a few long-form interviews like this one with other podcasters in the violin world as well as some former students. Since I'm still scripting new episodes, I would actually love to hear what content you would like to hear. And if you have any ideas or suggestions for new episodes, you can DM me on Instagram at violinclassco or just shoot me an email at violinclasspod at gmail.com. Some of the episodes I'm working on are about creating a warm-up routine and keeping a positive attitude when learning new violin skills. So if that's the kind of thing that interests you, definitely let me know because it's really, really helpful for me to hear from listeners while I'm writing new episodes. And lastly, just to let you know that all of the show notes in this episode are available as part of the Violin Class newsletter. So if you want to know more about something that you heard or just get a written form summary of this episode, you can sign up at violinclassco slash newsletter. Those are my little announcements for this week. So without further ado, let's get into my conversation with guest Laurel Thompson of the Violin Geek Podcast. Laurel has decades of teaching experience and has been posting educational content on the internet for a very long time. Her podcast is so informative and really, really in-depth, and she has a ton of educational videos and blog posts as well. This is very much a conversation between two violin teachers and comparing our experiences in teaching adults online. You are really going to get the inside scoop here with our conversations as we talk about literally so many things that this could have easily been three full episodes. I think that a lot of points that Laurel touches on are things that you may need to hear whether you've been playing for three months or three years. We cover topics such as dealing with burnout as adult violinists, gauging your progress, mixing it up, during your violin practice, reframing your inner voice to improve your mindset, and keeping a sense of childlike wonder when learning new skills. Some other things that we talk about are what to expect when you're changing teachers, the pros and cons of online lessons from a teacher's perspective, our own experiences in learning vibrato and then teaching vibrato, and how it feels to be undoing your technique and relearning properly. Lastly, we do talk about what we love about teaching the violin. So as I said, that is really quite a lot. So thank you so much to Laurel for being on this show. And now I'm going to let Laurel introduce herself as well as the Violin Geek podcast. No, thank you. Yeah, well, Again, I'm Laurel Thompson, and um, the podcast is called The Violin Geek Podcast. It was shortly named uh, at the very beginning the Violin and Viola Practice Power Podcast. And uh, maybe six months into having the podcast, I changed it. But um, initially, and with the blog as well, it was sort of a couple different things. Um, around 2007, I bought a Mac computer. I, I upgraded from this kind of clunky Dell computer, <laughs> which I could really only type email and maybe some word documents on. And then I got this MacBook and I'm going like, what's iWeb? What's iMovie? What's GarageBand? You know, what are all these things? And so then I started just playing around with these programs that were just built into the Mac. I'm like, oh, I can create a website. Okay, let's do that. 
you know, now I can create um, a podcast on GarageBand. Let's do that. Um, and I happened to be, I think, like young enough where the technology didn't scare me. I was in my early 20s, but um, but old enough, like I had started teaching when I was 14. So I already had like 10 years of teaching experience. So it was like this perfect kind of funnel of, you know, I, I was getting to the point where I had said the same thing to so many students or had these breakthroughs and, you know, this excitement with certain students. And it's just like, okay, if, if all of this is happening in my little teaching studio, I'm sure there's other people out there on the planet that would benefit from similar things, right? Similar instructions or insights. And so initially it was the blog, got the website, got the blog. And then the podcast was, I was kind of um, trying to help some students, a couple in particular, some younger students who were struggling with intonation. And, um, I grew up with the Suzuki method and kind of a modified Suzuki method too. So I was, you know, learning music reading and stuff like that. And that's kind of what I've carried into my teaching as well. But, um, these kids, it's like, I just wanted something in addition to the songs that they were learning to listen to so that they could kind of figure out their finger patterns and be able to tackle different scales. And so the people can still go back and check it out. But the very earliest podcasts were like going through each string, these nine different finger patterns, high two, low two, high three, you know, just, I was recording these for my students and I'm like, other people probably want to hear this, <laughs> you know, and hear how those finger patterns sound um, just away from a piece, just isolated. And so that was the Violin and Viola Practice Power podcast. And then I started thinking, well, I want to kind of expand this into more than just little recordings that I've made for my students. So then I started, um, yeah, just talking about different things that, you know, I had an insight about in a lesson, a breakthrough that I had with a student. And then eventually some interviews started coming in as well. I had been uh, writing for Strings Magazine for a couple of years at that point. So I was kind of getting used to interviewing people um, for some of the articles I was writing. And I thought, well, who do I want to interview? <laughs> and yeah, just again, very organically, it just went from there. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, that's um, I'm just finding connections to with uh, starting this podcast. It's, it's the same thing of like, I'm kind of saying a lot of the same stuff in all my lessons. So it'd be nice to have them all in one place, at least on my end. I, I feel, feel like it makes me a better teacher just having thought out through things and written things out that usually I'm just saying on the fly. Um, but yeah. It's a nice medium, I think, of communication, the podcast. Yeah, well, it's like we're teaching to each student who comes through the door, or in this case, comes on the screen <laughs> in these days. But um, but yeah, at the same time, there's sort of a methodology and just, yeah, after so many lessons, you just say like, gosh, you know, there's just so many things that are repeated and, or, you know, if we can really sort of, you know, simmer down into, you know, just a blog or a podcast or something that then, you know, the student can kind of take away with them. Um, that's what I do now with a lot of the students. I have um, this huge library of videos that I've recorded over the years where it's like after the lesson, I'll go through and send them 
you know, at least a few videos kind of saying the same thing I said in the lesson, but maybe slightly different angles. And, and as we know, it's sometimes we can say the same thing twice to two different students, but we have to kind of, you know, modify it to, yeah, to kind of fit their learning style or their, their needs. Yeah. Yeah. Or you can tell them something sometime and then after they've gotten a few breakthroughs, they need to hear it again in a different way. Um, Exactly. Yeah. Especially some of my older students, adult students, sometimes will say, I know you've told me this before, but it finally clicked or something. (laughs) How you said it this time. And I don't know. So it's just, yeah, it's just, it's a process. It's a journey. You know, they're on their journey. We're on our journey. So. So as far as your, your career, you've done a ton in, in education, um, both online and, and offline, but you're a performer as well, right? You're, you're a recording artist. You have albums out. So tell me a little bit about that. What's a, a week in your life uh, of Laurel Thompson? <laughs> well, not as much, well, not as much performing as I was doing before COVID at least. Yeah. Performing, performing, like concerts performing. Yeah. But um, I, these days, yeah, again, just going with the flow. <laughs> Organic uh, career here. These days, I'm playing a lot of weddings. And I did a lot of weddings when I was a teen and, and into my 20s. I was doing a lot of weddings. And so I'm kind of back to doing weddings because mm-hmm. that keeps me close to home. And and the money's good. And this is you know a good area for that. There's so many venues and destination wedding people coming our way and stuff. So that's what I'm doing post, or I guess we're kind of still in COVID, but yeah. since COVID started <laughs> and all the tours were canceled. But yeah, all through my thirties, um, about the last 10 years or so, I was touring with my husband, who's um, a wonderful songwriter from Canada. And he found me on a YouTube video, one of my strings magazine, YouTube videos, <laughs> And it was the funniest thing because he's scrolling through YouTube and it's May 22nd and there's still a couple feet of snow on the ground in Winnipeg, Manitoba. So he's just biding his time online. And then he comes across this little thumbnail of me, but he thinks that I'm a friend of his out in BC who had started playing some violin. And so he clicks on it. And he's like, this is not my friend. Who is this person? <laughs> and anyway, so he went into my channel and watched some more videos and stuff and and some non-teaching um, videos as well with different um, bands and stuff that I'd played with a little bit. And he thought, oh, this this lady would, would maybe, you know, add some nice um, accompaniment to some of my songs. Maybe she's open to like a remote recording session. Wow. Track to one of my songs or something. So we became Facebook friends. And then a year into just sort of seeing each other pass by online, he said, I don't even know where you live in California, but I've toured in California before. I want to come back. Would you do a show with me? Maybe we can book a show. Maybe you know a place that you like and we can book a show. And I said, that sounds like a plan because I had had a band that I was putting a lot of energy into at the time. And it was starting to sort of fizzle out a little bit. People had different needs, you know. Um, so it's like, yeah, this is the perfect time for that actually. And, uh, we ended up trading tracks back and forth for a few months. And I, I did a bunch of overdubs on his 
songs, um, just wanting him to be happy if he was going to fly 2000 miles to come and play with me, you know, make sure he was pleased with the work. And that kind of became this sort of initial Dan and Laurel (laughs) project. And it was so funny. We had a Photoshopped photo. We ended up doing a 15 date tour and no one really knew that we had never actually met before because <laughs> we were sending out these recordings that we had just done remotely and this photoshopped photo of us, you know. Um, and so that went quite well. And then he invited me up to Canada to tour with him that summer. And mm-hmm. so I did all these festivals and and kind of the rest is history, really. Yeah. Eventually, it became more than music. <laughs> but um, yeah, prior to that... Um, I mean, obviously, I I was um, kind of on a classical track growing up and eventually felt like spreading my wings a little bit. And um, I had some really good early experiences beyond classical music with um, just people inviting me to join them in different kind of folksy and Celtic bands and stuff like that and just improvising a little bit. And I had had a lot of stage fright uh, through my teen years. Uh, just it was sort of growing and growing as I went through these kind of competitive situations, you know, different youth orchestras and stuff and and competitions. And so it was just a, a breath of fresh air to finally get to the point where I was like so scared standing on stage, but these people were like, This one's in the key of C. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, what do I do? Okay, I know the C major scale. I know, like, I've got a starting point. And then at the end, like, just feeling so, like, like how I felt as a child, where I could just express myself with music. So, so yeah, as time has gone by in performance, more and more I've gone towards, yeah, just sharing this original music and, and, um, and not only contributing to my husband's songs, but writing my own. And at some point along the way, my voice, my singing voice came back, which, I mean, it never went away, but I just put so much energy into the violin. I just sort of didn't sing anymore. And when I was really little, that was sort of my first musical instrument. And they were always, I was very shy, but they wanted me to sing out and do the solo or sing louder so the other kids could hear what the pitch was supposed to be. Because I just had kind of a natural ability to 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 sing in tune and, you know, with good tone and stuff. So anyhow... Um, that's kind of what I'm, what I hope to get back to doing <laughs> more of, um, as COVID sort of subsides and, and hopefully gas prices go down a little bit. That would help. Oh, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, well now we can probably go out there and hopefully not get COVID maybe, but gosh, it's going to cost a lot of money to do some of the tours we used to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, first of all, what a cute story. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Yeah, music yeah. bringing people together. But I love that the that he just like saw you in a, a YouTube video and goes yeah. to show you never know who's going to see what you put <laughs> put online. Never know. The funny thing about it though was I had this interesting intuition. You know, people contact us online, and in, we sometimes we meet people on the street or in a coffee shop or something. And just like, like with certain people, there's sort of this feeling like there's a deeper connection here. Mm-hmm. And this little message that he wrote, it was just short, but complimentary. And, and it was just almost like time stopped in that moment. And thinking back to it, I had had this lady, another Canadian singer songwriter contact me just a few years before this. 
and want me to come up to Canada and tour with her. And at the time, the timing wasn't right. But then just a couple weeks before Dan contacted me, I had had this thought, because as I told you, the band that I was with was sort of on rocky ground there. (laughs) I was like, darn, if someone like that person up in Canada, that singer-songwriter would have contacted me right now, I would Mm. be totally ready for it. And then it's just like literally two, two weeks or something after that, I'm getting this message. And at the time, I don't really think about that connection. But now looking back, it's like, our thoughts are powerful. <laughs> what we put out there is powerful. So yeah, stuff, it's, it's all about timing too. Just yeah, that's so cool. For it, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, um, what, what's that saying that? opportunity is luck plus preparation something like that yeah that sounds about <laughs> right yeah exactly but um yeah but it's in, it's interesting because violinists have such diverse careers especially once you move a little bit on on the outside of classical world too when you're doing other stuff and Absolutely. i'm always interested just to hear what people are up to because it's yeah, no I like the diversity. Like, yeah and for other people like my brother sometimes i encourage him because he's I I also think he has an entrepreneurial sort of mindset that he's very much like, no, I want a nine to five job. I want a 401k. And he's like really in that, even though, I mean, both, both worlds can be very stressful, but yeah, I mean, it's not for everyone, but I like the diversity. I mean, I guess other than teaching and now the weddings, it's been nice to get back to doing some studio work and having people, send me their songs, you know, through COVID and Mm -hmm. be able to get creative and, come up with something. And so, yeah, a little, still doing some stuff with streams magazine here and there. And yeah, just, you kind of make it work. And it, it just, even though each, I wouldn't say each month anymore, but maybe each couple years, maybe the ratio of what I'm doing changes a little bit. Mm-hmm. It seems like financially it, it's able to stay pretty steady as long as, you know, we just kind of keep hustling a little bit. So. Yeah, there's <laughs> always that we can't just sit around or anything. But yeah, but it's it's nice because I mean I love teaching. I know you love teaching, but if we were teaching forty hours a week, you're a little bit crazy. I think it's yeah. It's just, it's I mean, so I much. took on like a whole other day of teaching during the first mm-hmm. like 2020. Um, everyone was stuck at home, and you know, there's like all these new people who thought, well. Maybe now's the time I'll let yeah. you know. It was a bit much. I mean, it was good to kind of just have that extra income when all the other income fell away. But yeah, now I'm back to a good amount. And it's true. I mean, I, I have known teachers. They, yeah, teach 40 hours a week or something, you know, some crazy right. amount. And just like, yeah, I don't know if I could do my best work mm-hmm. doing that. Yeah, I find that for me as well, if I have I mean I have periods where I'm not practicing as much and and I notice that things get stale in my teaching too and I'm like oh, I wonder like everything's a little bit you know flat and it's like oh it's because I haven't you know I, I don't have anything new to bring I'm not practicing I'm not yeah working well like we have to like stimulate that in ourselves why are we doing this we have to get excited about our instrument again and our playing and have an insight and a breakthrough in our own you know technique or whatever and then yeah then it's we get jazzed up and take it back to the students yeah (laughs) or have a great performance you know and and just feel on top of the world and then yay I'm ready for teaching on Monday morning you know yeah 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 I totally feel that as well 
Speaking of burnout, um, it's not, I mean, obviously it's something that professionals deal with all the time, but students as well. I don't, I mean, growing up, I definitely had a bunch of times where I wanted to quit. I assume you might have had a few, you're nodding your head. Yeah. Um, but that's something that I see in adult students as well is, uh, you know, just it's so exciting at the beginning. And as we know, this is not an instrument that only has upward swings. There's a lot of plateaus. Sometimes there's a little bit of dips in pro- pro- uh, in progress as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm wondering how, how you approach that as a teacher, avoiding burnout and yeah, what you've what you've noticed in your adult students, especially regarding that. We'll be right back after this quick break. The Violin Class Podcast is brought to you by my very own private violin studio. If you want to bring your violin playing to the next level, if you find that you're stuck on a certain technique or a piece, you're having trouble making progress, I would love to help you work through whatever challenges that you're working right now on violin. So if you're looking for a violin teacher to help guide you in your progress, or if you're self-teaching and looking for a one-time lesson to check in and work together to make a plan for your violin playing going forward, I would love to work with you. I've been teaching violin online to adult amateurs of all levels for over a decade. So if you are interested, you can reach out to me at violinclasspod at gmail.com or through my website at violinclass.co slash contact. And yes, beginners are always welcome. On that note, let's get right back into the episode. Yeah, especially with adults, it's interesting because... They know exactly what it's what they want to sound like, what what it's supposed to sound like, right? Mm-hmm. With kids, they don't have enough experience sometimes, especially with little kids. And I also think with little kids, I don't know about you, but I remember like drawing pictures as a kid and thinking that that picture was real, like that's a real horse I drew. It's completely <laughs> realistic. And it couldn't possibly have been (laughs) like I was four years old or something, you know, Mm -hmm. and I was decent at art and all, but it's like, I think just, you know, kids, they live in this world of imagination and creativity and just everything's new and interesting and cool. And kids can get down on themselves too, but it's almost like they have to learn to do that. Yeah. Someone has to cut them down a few times or something. Um, so with adults, yeah, it's particularly difficult. And I find you were talking about the plateaus and, and these times when we get to take off, you know, and it's funny because I found a lot of times with adult students, sometimes it's when they've really had a series of breakthroughs and things seem to be going really well, that then it's almost like they have to temper it a little bit and they'll come to a lesson and say, things have been going really well. I'm making such good progress, but do you think that I am where I should be? (laughs) And go like, Oh no, this question, (laughs) do you think I'm moving fast enough in my violin journey? Mm -hmm. You know, and then it's like, we'll have a conversation about that, which I think it's impossible to tell, you know, how, like where anyone should be. Everyone's different, right? right? Are you making progress? Are you learning? Good you're, you're fine. (laughs) We're getting there. Um, there's no end of the road, right? So it's really interesting. And, and 
oftentimes we can kind of, you know, at least keep them out of, out of the hole, but sometimes then it's like, they really get down in the dumps, you know? Yeah. And, um, and not just when they've been through a period of, of, um, successes, but yeah, just, I think because they are afraid of making mistakes and kids, they don't care about making mistakes. No, Um, (laughs) it's just like, they don't even know what a mistake is until you're starting to say, Hmm, that third finger just wasn't quite in tune, you know, what (laughs) What was it supposed to sound like? I have no idea. Right. But yeah, it's, um, adults just really beat themselves up. And, um, and as far as burnout, I mean, we can talk about physical burnout, mental burnout. I mean, physical burnout, I guess the good thing with everyone's life being so busy, it doesn't seem like there's that many people who are practicing too much, but I do think some people still have this idea in their head that they should be practicing like six, seven, eight hours a day. And that's what a professional would do. And I don't know about you, but <laughs> there's no time for that. You know, no, no time and- for that. You have to make good use of your practice time. If you can do two hours, that's pretty good. Three hours Honestly, I th- I've always thought that about two and a half hours seems like a really good, like sweet spot mm-hmm. for personal practice. I mean, if you have to go mm-hmm. off to rehearsals and stuff like that, that's, that's not really a part of that um, time period. But yeah, two to two and a half hours to three hours, something like that. And then are we mixing up what we're doing? So I have this one student, he's very dedicated to his technique and he will get just like one thing that he wants to do in his head. Lately, it's been vibrato. And so he'll come to the lesson and he'll say, I practiced vibrato for 45 minutes straight. Wow. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) And I mean that quite literally. That's amazing. I don't know if I would really do that, (laughs) you know, without any breaks, certainly. Yeah. Um, How about five minutes? And then you do something else and then come back and do some more, something like that. 10 minutes, maybe max. Um, So I do think we need to be mixing up the technical things that we're doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I did a bow course for Strings Magazine a number of years ago, and I had to be able to demonstrate all the different bow strokes and um also troubleshoot so i had to be able to demonstrate all the squeaks and bad sounds too which by the way if you've never tried to make bad sounds i recommend that everyone try and make bad sounds too because then you really learn how to make good sounds (laughs) but um but i was having to practice so much bowing and i just i i found you know especially some of the the more sort of um technical, very, um, strokes that we're using just very repetitive sort of muscles and stuff like that, repetitive motions like soutier and stuff like that. I really could only practice that for a couple minutes and then I needed to just put it down and, or practice something different. Right. So I think as far as physical, physical burnout, just, you know, not having this idea that we need to practice and practice and practice and practice, like practice better, figure out like what are one or two goals maybe that you want to accomplish in a practice and just go for those. If it's, I want to get better at my shifts today. Great. (laughs) Focus on that. If tone is going out the window, 
come back to that tomorrow. And I like students to keep a practice journal. So it's like they, they are accountable to mm-hmm. what they're doing, you know, practice my piece. Yep. Cleaning up the intonation today, tomorrow I'm going to clean up the bowing and tone, or we can get more specific than that too, obviously. But, um, and then beyond that, obviously this idea of mixing things up. So you're not just hammering the same things over and over again, uh, f- with your body, the same motions, And then, yeah, more mental sort of emotional burnout. Again, I think it really comes back to just having this this fear of making mistakes, um, this idea that we're not good enough. (laughs) You know, so many of us. I mean, we all have this inner critic that is sometimes so mean, right? And so sometimes one of the first steps is just sort of catching yourself and not beating yourself up for beating yourself up either. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'm being so mean to myself. Why am I so mean to myself? I'm so mean to myself. You know, this sort of just vicious cycle. And so in my early 20s, I was uh, just really interested in in the mind and body and sort of how I could learn more about that and bring it back to violin. And so I did a training in hypnotherapy and um, also became certified as a yoga teacher <laughs> and a massage therapist and all these other things, which I don't really do anymore. And I never did a whole lot just in and of themselves, but I've, able to, I've been able to kind of bring back into t- teaching, particularly and certainly in my own playing. But um, one of the kind of undercover things that I found really helpful from the hypnotherapy training was the some of the ideas from neurolinguistic programming or NLP. And they just have some really common sense ideas about how we should sort of talk to ourselves and how we can change habits and I thought this is just this is so valuable for musicians because mm-hmm. we're probably, you know, some of the the worst at beating ourselves up, right? And so one of the ideas from that is that um, basically anything, any thought has a positive purpose. And if we can just recognize it, so even if you're beating yourself up, it's like, I'm a terrible musician, I'll never be, I'll never be good, I'll never be good enough. Even that thought that we've had has a positive purpose. And just in thinking, okay, almost thinking it, like, thank you for wanting that for me. What is it? What do you want for me? I want you to be a good violinist. Oh, wow. It just sort of like softens that whole, those daggers that we're almost throwing at ourselves, if that makes sense. And so it's just NLP, if anyone wants to check that out, it's a nice way, just, you know, you can take big, long trainings about it, but you can also just uh, read a few blog posts about it and learn about it and, it's just a nice little tool to have in our toolbox um, because it's all eyes open. You can be standing in line at the grocery store and use one of their techniques to sort of get yourself out of trouble. Mm-hmm. With, um, yeah, just this this kind of hypercritical um, mental thought process that we can get into. Yeah, that's super interesting, the, that reframing of how everything uh, like can be looked at through a different lens to be helpful um, mm-hmm. takes away from the guilt. I think that's, that's a, we, we don't have guilty kid students 
very often, I think is, yeah. is, but it's certainly something I see really often in adults. Um, and as people who started playing relatively young, I mean, I started at five, I imagine you must have started around the same age. Yeah. Um, we got to do our first 10 years or so of, of learning without that awareness necessarily, without caring so much what we sounded like. So it's, I think, one of the big advantages that the kids have over us. Yeah, I do feel like like even sometimes kids will go from that sort of wonder, the wonder years, you know, um, into sometimes in the teen years, stuff mm. starts to change. Yeah, so for sure. Even if they did start as kids, sometimes they can end up as, adult, as adults who are very hypercritical of themselves. But not all the time. I mean, a lot of times it's like they've overcome enough of the really technical yeah. hard challenges that um, then it might just be more about sort of how am I going to find my place in this world now that I'm sort of leaving home and, you know, what can I make of this What's the point? Yeah. Why am I doing this? What is my career going to look like? So that might be more the case with um, someone who has experience like us where we grew up playing music. But yeah, people who are coming at it as adult, adult beginners, um, oftentimes, yeah, like the first few lessons can be really kind of filled with a little bit of that, you know, beginner's mind, childlike wonder. But then sometimes really quickly, the frustration settles in. And it's just, it's so rough. I'm sure you've experienced it too, to watch your poor adult student, you know, just, they're like, just so shut down and so frustrated and, and, and it's just struggles that everyone has. And I just like to remind them, like, all of this is normal. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Normal to not sound perfectly in tune, you know, when you've only been playing for, you know, a few months or uh, even a year or a few or years. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, I mean, actually we all kind of don't always play in tune. Yeah. Know? We just get better at fixing it faster. Yeah. No one knows, you know, we get so good at fixing it. <laughs> it's, it's, just, it's a secret. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, just all of these things, but yeah, just taking, taking people through a process like that sometimes, um, with NLP, it can be really just kind of undercover and they don't even know. Uh, it just feels like kind of a good conversation that we had <laughs> about this problem. So, yeah, yeah, that's, that's super interesting. I'll definitely, um, I don't know if you have any articles that you like in particular, but I'll, I'll ask you about that and I'll send them in the email newsletter. If anyone wants to check that out. Um, I know I definitely do, but, yeah, um, yeah, I think in in the in any student actually, not just adults. One of the I don't know if as a kid or even when you were studying later on, if you jumped between teachers a lot or if you had just one teacher bring you through all the way to your studies. But I certainly had a bunch of teachers, and I think that starting again with a new teacher after you've been playing a while is actually one of the hardest things that you can do um, as a student. That's and that's kids and adults, just because first of all the teacher has a new plan for you (laughs) kind of feels like you're taking a whole bunch of steps back before you can start seeing progress again. And sometimes contradictory or seemingly contradictory, right? Yeah. Yeah. I had one teacher pretty much all through my childhood until I was going off like at the end of high school. Um, And then I had a few more 
um, after that. So I had the benefit of one teacher, but then mm-hmm. it was that next teacher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was such a hard experience. I mean, I had to drive an hour, um, to, to get there. And it was like throughout that whole hour, it felt like I was going to an audition every single lesson. It mm-hmm. never got better. <laughs> But she was a great teacher. She really helped my technique in so many ways. But she started me back to square one with vibrato for one and quite a few other things. She's just like, everything you've been doing, throw it out the window. We're not doing that anymore. (laughs) It's like, oh, my goodness. But I trusted her and it felt like she at first she didn't really think too much of me, I think. Because she was just, she, she just taught college students and she even said, she said, you know, typically I would only be taking like the top students and mm-hmm. you're good, but <laughs> you know, she's like telling this, me to this to my face. Right. And I'm like, okay, well, thank you so much <laughs> for taking me on. But, but then she saw that I was willing to do the work, you know, and then she got a little more friendly, but it was still pretty rough. And, um, yeah, I just felt like, like you were saying, uh, you feel like, yeah, you're kind of just being cut down to square one or something like that. Um, just sort of going from that early experience where, you know, I was like my teacher's best student, sort of a, a situation to mm-hmm. suddenly like, I'm at the lowest rung of the ladder, sort of a feeling that's yeah. really tough, you know? And I think I just, I navigated that by just, I, I knew this is what I wanted to do. And sure, there's been times when I think maybe I'm not good enough or maybe, you know, this is just, yeah, should have just been a hobby all along or something like that. But none of those thoughts really last that long. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we can all get down on ourselves about it, but yeah, yeah. There's, a, I mean, there's just so many teachers out there and, and everyone just has to kind of find that rapport so that's one thing that I think is really cool about just the online potential these days. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the, especially my first teacher, but um, just having those teachers was really, I wouldn't change that. You know, they were all really instrumental in, in who I am as a, as a player now and have informed my teaching too, um, what I share with my students. But it would have been nice to maybe have a few supplemental teachers too along the way and just people that weren't in the area that I could have also gotten something from. At one point I did do some online lessons with a, a man who was teaching East Indian violin. I just had an interest in that sound. So I did some of that for a while. And so I got to be a student again and, uh, it's, yeah, it's just wonderful. And like I said earlier, just kind of making the world a smaller place in a good way. Um, having those connections and we never know who we're supposed to meet. Right. So yeah, just opening up the whole world to those possibilities is pretty cool. Yeah, no, it's true. I would have loved to, I'm thinking specifically when I was in music school and like at the end of the semester, I'd be gone for four months for the summer. And I'd be like, my teacher's just leaving me by myself to learn this piece for four months. Like, what am I going to do? It would have been nice to, to check in. Although I think it was, it did teach me how to learn a little bit more independently, but like a, a one, once a month online lesson would have definitely been uh welcome at the yeah, time. Have a check-in or I think yeah. of 
some of the fiddle styles and stuff that I've enjoyed learning about. And I've had to do a lot of that from, you know, having a fiddle book and then going online to YouTube and listening to different versions and trying to figure out how they're ornamenting it, how they're bowing it. Like the Mm -hmm. fiddle books don't really give all that much information as far as that goes. Most of them anyway, it's just the notes. So it would have been great to like call up someone (laughs) in Ireland or Scotland or something back when I was, you know, a teenager and just say, Hey, show me, show me the tricks. (laughs) Yeah. Cause it doesn't have to be, you know, a lot of classical violin is very rooted in, in tradition and there's culture to things and, lessons look very similar now, I think, in, you know, Suzuki schools that they did 40 years ago, probably 100 years ago, probably more. Um, so right now things are being shaken up in, in a really good way. I think there's a lot more access thanks to people like you putting out courses and YouTube videos. Um, but it's always really important to have that feedback element too. I think you can you can go a long way now with, with videos and check your work and get inspiration. But um, I, I think it's really important to still have like the, the customized feedback for how, how you're holding the bow, how you're shaking, shaking your arm and all that stuff. Yeah. No, exactly. Um, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of adults in particular that I've gotten where they've tried to kind of teach themselves through YouTube and stuff like that for, they get about maybe six months into it yeah. and then they just kind of hit the wall and yeah. You know, and then just even after just a few lessons, most of the time we're able to just clear up some, you know, basic things that they just, that we needed to modify for mm-hmm. their anatomy and just who they are. And you just, you, you can't really get that from a video. So that's yeah, the one nice thing about whether it's in person or in person online just having someone look at you and watch how you're playing and hear how you're playing and, Mm -hmm. and just, yeah, fine tune it. So. Yeah. Speaking of um, videos though, you have a course on vibrato and yeah. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Cause again, I think it's awesome that this type of education uh, is being available or made available to anyone now who wants to kind of give it a go. Or I think even for people that are working with teachers and want another person's perspective, a different way of having things explained. Um, so yeah, what, what brought on that idea? Yeah. So it's called complete vibrato mastery, which I'm still adding to. So <laughs> it, it will continue to hopefully be more and more complete as time goes by. But as far as um, what I can do now, I feel like it's a pretty complete course as far as taking you from no vibrato to hopefully a very varied and artistic vibrato. But as we know, vibrato is a difficult technique to teach but yeah also, you know it really takes dedication to learn yeah and there are some people who just seem to kind of pick up on it pretty quickly and easily but they are definitely in the minority say, in most people don't <laughs> most people do not most people struggle incredibly with learning vibrato yeah and it's the funniest technique too because it takes like I said so much dedication and just training these muscles to vibrate in this really specific rhythmic way, (laughs) but yet in a very relaxed way. So it's like we have to train them 
and think about it. And it's very, it feels very physical and mental and muscular. And then in the end, when we're actually doing vibrato and we have a vibrato, it's just kind of effortless. Yeah. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing to like, to, to get people to the other side. And I'm always explaining that to my students, like, just so you know, I know this feels really hard, but at the end of the day, this is going to be effortless. It's going to be like riding a bike. And that's probably a good analogy. It's like, how do we balance on these two wheels? We fall so many times. <laughs> and then just one day, there we have it, right? Yeah. So complete vibrato mastery. I did that in 2015. And it was also, I saw a need there. I was having trouble getting kind of enough lesson time with students to practice vibrato because so many of them, they have orchestra music they have to prepare for, you know, youth orchestra or school or something, or, you know, there's pieces they want to learn. We have to do our scales, just all of this stuff. And so mm -hmm. I was finding I would only have maybe a few minutes for vibrato unless maybe it was an older adult student, a retired, you know, adult or something. And they just had all the time in the world. Um, so it's like, I just wanted something that could be a supplement to the lessons where students could get all of that information repeated as many times as they wanted from me. And, and then I could just kind of fine tune it in those maybe five minutes that we could spend in lesson time doing it. And I also just like the podcast and the blog, I felt like, well, there's gotta be other teachers and students struggling with this out there yeah. too. Cause it's just been one of the hardest things to teach in my career. I know that. <laughs> oh, for sure. I think a lot of teachers don't know how to teach vibrato. Like I, my teacher would tell me like, I don't know how to teach vibrato <laughs> just to kind yeah, of figure it I mean, out. I, I, yeah. My first teacher as um, just wonderful as she was and supportive as she was, uh, I don't remember her ever teaching me anything about vibrato. Yeah. She just sort of demonstrated it. Yeah. I just sort of watched her. I don't remember her ever giving me any specific exercises. Mm -hmm. um, so then the second teacher that I'd mentioned before and how she started my vibrato from square one, I mean, that's why she had to start it from square one. Cause I mean, I had a vibrato, but it was problematic. It was kind of tense. It was, um, I mean, it sounded okay, but it wasn't particularly um, consistent, maybe from finger to finger. There was just yeah. some issues with it. So she just felt like let's, let's start over again. And, and I had been doing sort of an arm vibrato and then she decided let's widen this out. So let's maybe do more of a hand wrist vibrato for you instead. And then as I went through that process with her, I found that there was maybe about three months where I couldn't do any vibrato at all. Cause the old vibrato mm -hmm. now I felt how weird it was. Yeah. The new vibrato wasn't quite ready yet. And so I pretty much all my old repertoire, I couldn't play because it just sounded bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> and so I just kind of had to start from scratch on a lot of fronts with that. But then um, sure enough, like methodically, she was able to develop a new vibrato for me. And then eventually I kind of went back to where I could go back and forth between arm and hand or wrist and then kind of do a hybrid of the two and just get a lot of variety that... Like finally, <laughs> it took a while. Yeah. Like, like that process with her was um, like, I would say about six months. And with most students who do the course, I wouldn't, you know, have anyone think that, you know, they can do it in less than six months, really. I mean, maybe three months to get something that's kind of sounding like vibrato, mm -hmm. but 
but with dedication, you know, yeah, maybe six months, maybe a year. But then even after I had been through that process with my teacher, it was still probably, I would say another three years before I really felt like it was my vibrato. Yeah. It wasn't just like a technique that I was sort of layering on top of my pieces. So yeah, it's, um, yeah, hopefully a good course for people to check out. I will um, definitely. Like I said, I am adding to it over time. So, um, a lot of it's just when someone from who's signed up for the course writes in and says, Oh, by the way, like, I'm having this problem <laughs> or, um, or someone occasionally I've had a student from there. Um, most of the time they have their own teacher somewhere, but they might show up for just one lesson. They want to just have a little check in with me. And then, yeah. you know, through that, I'm like, okay, now I've got to do a video on this, <laughs> this little angle. I'll add that to the course now. So, yeah. Cause I mean, a lot of the, the problems are universal. It's just kind of, you have your own recipe of little issues from a bank of many issues and they're kind of unique to you, but it, on the teacher's side, it's like, okay, I've seen this before. I've seen this before, but yeah. um, from what I think a couple of things from your experience that I just want to highlight uh, first of all, that getting to like a high level and having to undo things with, um, with a teacher, at least in my experience, it's the same when I got to college, I think my, you know, I was told like, I don't even know how you're sounding like you're sounding because it looks all sorts of whack. Like you sound okay, but you know, we have to, we've got to start again. And the first year of my studies was just kind of figuring stuff out again. Um, but on the teacher side of things, I think that's why I like teaching is because I, I, everything was explained to me at a time where I was absorbing it and I can remember things. Whereas I'm sure when I was five, things were explained, but I don't remember at all. So maybe for vibrato, that's why it's something that you enjoy teaching now, just that you, you remember being taught it a bit more recently. That's true. Yeah, that's true. And that teacher, she also, like she had, um, studied with, um, Dorothy DeLay and Galamian. Mm -hmm. and, and so she had some, some pretty amazing pedagogy behind yeah. her. And so it was like within the first month of lessons with her, she handed me Galamian's, book uh technical um the art of what is it the art of violin, <laughs> violin. yeah yeah violin. yeah anyway like the book right yeah she's like here read this <laughs> it's a great book and i think actually anyone learning violin should read it if you're just starting out you won't make heads or tails of it um yeah it's, it's not for like dry beginner yeah. but i mean you can try you can you can you'll i mean you'll certainly get things. But yeah, when I was, uh, my teacher also studied with Dorothy DeLay and was a teaching assistant for her. Um, awesome. and yeah, yeah, it's, it's, uh, such a great environment. I think I wish I could have met her, but, um, it was also required reading for me. So yeah. get that, get that at the library if you, yeah. if you can. <laughs> yeah. And what I really liked about that too, and her just sharing that with me and just everything that she was sharing with me, like, like the concept of sounding points was a good, was a good one too, where I'd never heard about sounding points before, contact points, um, mm -hmm. where we put the bow on the string sort of between the bridge and the fingerboard to make different sounds. Or if we're going faster or slower, we're shifting up to higher positions. Like there's kind of a recipe for where that bow needs to sit. And I think coming like as a beginner, most people are just told to like bow right down the middle. Yeah. And even, like those little bow track trackers yeah. that, you know, a little kid might have on there. 16th size instrument or something, you know, it kind of gives us this impression that that's this one spot and the bow just needs to stay straight in that one little track. Totally. And so just getting to 
understand reading in the Galamian book and, and hearing through my teacher, like that there was this whole world of that string length, you know, just a few inches, but it's just a whole world of difference as far as tone. And suddenly I was watching myself in the mirror for like, am I doing that? And I found, well, like intuitively I'm doing a lot of the things I'm supposed to be doing, but I just never knew. Yeah. I never knew it before. And I thought, wow, well now I can share this with my students mm-hmm. and they won't have to just somehow, hopefully intuitively get it. You know, they could actually troubleshoot their tone. Yeah. You know, shifting up to a high note. Oh, it sounds terrible. Oh, it must be in my left hand. No, but actually listen to the pitch. It sounds perfectly in tune. Oh, it's the bow because the bow is over the fingerboard, you know, something like that. Yeah. Move the bow in towards the bridge. Wow. It's suddenly ringing and clear. <laughs> yeah. Just little things like that, that, um, yeah, they were just, they just having that knowledge, like you were saying, like at an age when you could really digest it. I definitely appreciated that. And that kind of late teens, early twenties time, uh, was great for that. And I felt like before that, my, like as a teacher, as, as, as a teenage teacher, um, <laughs> I mean, I was like writing up little lesson plans for my students and, you know, I took it very seriously, but then getting into my twenties, then I, I kind of had a whole new understanding and, and different pedagogies to sort of start to, to pull from, not just, not just my first teacher. Yeah. She was sharing with me. So and more experience of what students need as well. Like, I mean, I, I started teaching about the same age, I think 14, and I did my very best as well. But um, <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm not sure the quality of the instruction my my kiddos were getting at the time. Um, definitely takes seeing a lot of different problems. And I think also working with someone over several years, that you're like, okay, the kind of things that we start now how is that going to work, you know, planting the seeds for vibrato year one so that year three, we can actually work on that. Um, you don't, you, as a, as a rookie teacher, like you just, you, you don't think that far ahead. At least I didn't. Yeah, <laughs> no, exactly. I mean, I, at some point along the way, I really found the benefit of trying to teach people the frame of the hand early. Yeah. And a lot of, especially books, um, as great as they can be for, like group instruction in a school, a lot of schools, um, at least around here use like essential elements and stuff. Yeah. Like that. But it's like just starting with one finger and there's pages and pages of one finger and then there's two fingers. And then by the time you get to the fourth finger, the hand is completely oh, oh, in some weird funky place where you're never going to be able to reach kind of a thing. Yeah. And so, yeah, just the benefit of starting with that whole frame from the start and starting to strengthen up the poor piggy that's going to, you know, always be at a bit of a disadvantage anyway. So yeah. yeah, stuff like that. I definitely learned along the way and we are still learning. So oh yeah, <laughs> that's the beauty of it. That's what I love about it. And that's yeah. what I love about teaching. It's like everyone, I get to kind of, they keep me on my toes, you know, different ages. I mean, these days I'm teaching more, you know, not super little kids, but even sometimes I will still have a, a really young kid, you know, young child. And it's like, oh yeah, okay. got to pull out all the poems and the, you know, d- different uh, games and stuff like that. And, and it's just, it keeps it fresh. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Teaching to, to kids that can't necessarily write or, or read very well yet. It's a whole different, <laughs> whole different yeah. world, but I think it's interesting because at least, um, on at least for me, all the teacher training, because I've done plenty of you know, Suzuki stuff. I like to, to 
to keep on my toes for that. Um, but it's all geared towards teaching children. So almost half of it is about like, okay, how do we explain this to a little kid? How do we do that? How do we do this? And it's certainly super, super helpful in teaching adults too, but there's just not so much framework, I think, um, on the teacher's end to how how do you explain this to an older student is just kind of, I think the the professors that work with um, by the time adults, you know, students at a collegiate level, they, they've worked their way up. I don't know. There's, there's not, there's not a framework really. Yeah. I've gotten definitely some students who are adult, adult beginners who, um, maybe they've been through a few teachers that just, it wasn't the the right fit because the teachers were kind of teaching them like they would teach a (laughs) four-year-old and it's just, you know, I mean, some of the, some of the same, techniques and, you know, different exercise and stuff would apply, but yeah, it's a little bit of a different, different ball game. What I really like about my adult students is I, I get to, and it's kind of the violin geek thing, right? I get to geek out with them a little bit. Yeah. Like I, it seems like I always have a few at any given time that just are really curious about everything and they ask really good questions and I get to explain it all. And sometimes their eyes still glaze over a little bit. We get to that point, <laughs> but a lot of times they can just, they take it all in and yeah. they're just fascinated. And sometimes I get teenage students like that too and younger mm-hmm. students, but yeah, particularly at the adults, sometimes they're just, they're just so curious. And those are, like, those are the ones that have beaten the inner critic a lot of times. Yeah. They're, they're able to kind of get to the other side with this you know, just they have that ability to take things in and uh, yet they still have that kind of childlike wonder. Yeah. That's, that's really special. I really appreciate that. The curiosity, especially on the teacher side, um, when someone, like you explain something and someone's like, whoa, that is so cool. You're just like, yeah, that's true. I forgot. It is really cool. Like that's. Yeah. It's the best feeling. It's like, it's almost like, painting with with another person like mm-hmm. you know just having this conversation and demoing and they're playing and going back and forth you know it's just yeah some of those times it's just I feel so energized by that mm-hmm. uh, troubleshooting a problem and we get to the kind of that's it okay do it that way <laughs> the student the other day and it's just setting she's a beginner setting up her bow hold and we just found that setting up her bow hold with the bow parallel to the floor. She was having some issues with the thumb and it was wanting to lock out a lot. And we were trying all these different things. We finally just found if we just set up her bow hold with her holding her bow in her left hand, the stick mm-hmm. and coming around vertically made all the difference for her body. And we're like, wow, that's it. All right. <laughs> Great lesson. <laughs> you know, it can be a little struggle sometimes, but yeah, you just like keep at it and I don't know. I'm just very determined whenever there's an issue. Got to get to the bottom of this. <laughs> yeah. I think all violinists are, you know, if you get to a certain point, it's because you've got that tenacity. <laughs> like you're not going to give up. It's like, we're going to figure this out. It doesn't matter if it takes an hour, if it takes six hours, we're going to yeah. stay here until, until we figure it out. But Yeah. And people starting violin, they, they should know, like, <laughs> Like you're in this for life. Yeah. So you really want to do it. You're in it for life. It's not like a hobby you're going to do for like two years. I'm like, okay, whatever. I mean, anyone can quit. You're, you're yeah. welcome to quit. But but yeah, it's just, I mean, I love it about that. You know, there's no end to the road. I'm always going to be learning new things and getting better. And yeah, I plan to be, you know, teaching when I'm 90 and playing and just... <laughs> 
I'll still be having breakthroughs, I'm sure. And that's my goal anyway. <laughs> a good goal. <laughs> yeah. So, Definitely a hard career, to, <laughs> hard to, career to, to retire from, for sure. I think a lot of, yeah, music teachers just kind of go until, even when they retire, if they're like teaching at university, they're still teaching just from their house now you know yeah there's this one lady down in Monterey um a lot of the teachers that were around when I was little have since passed away but there's one and um she she always seemed like a grandma age you know when I was a kid and now she's still there like she's I don't know if she's teaching all that much, but she'll go into the youth orchestra and help people tune the instruments and, you know, kind of be there just to oversee everything and help the conductor. And it's like, she must be at least, I don't know, nineties. Amazing. (laughs) Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, on that note, thank you so much, Laurel, for sharing your, your insights as a teacher and also your story um as a violinist and how you've gotten there i think that this is a lot of valuable information for anyone who's anywhere on their violin learning journey but um where can people find you if they if they want to follow some of your stuff your podcast the best place to find me is on my website which is laurelthompson.com and I have bought all the domain names with the different Thompson spellings so people can actually I did spell it wrong several times. Yeah. (laughs) No P. It's the yes, it's the Danish Thompson rather than the British Thompson. So T-H-O-M as in Mary, S-E-N as in Nancy. Um, but yeah, thankfully I had the foresight to buy the other domains too. (laughs) Um and that from there people can find like there's the violin geek geek tab, which has uh, the blog and the podcast. And then there's my teaching kind of information tab. And under that, there's also the courses, online courses. You can get to the vibrato course and there's also the Boeing course. And there's uh, sort of a mostly left-hand based, um, a couple other things through Strings Magazine there too. So um, there's that. And then um, there's media, you know, music videos and albums and stuff like that. So that's, that's the best place. Um, yeah, I'm on social media here and there, but it's definitely, um, my website and email are the best places to get in touch with me. Cool. And if you enjoy this podcast, you definitely will enjoy Violin Geek. It's great. It's super dense and informative and, um, just, yeah, talks about all things violin. So be sure to check that out. Thank you so much for listening. As I said, you can find all of those links in the show notes If you would like all of those things sent directly to your inbox, you can sign up for the Violin Class newsletter at violinclass.co. You can also reach me directly at violinclasspod at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating or review wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'll be back with another episode in the next coming weeks, probably in three weeks. So stay tuned until then, and I will catch you at the next one. 